0: Good morning. This morning's reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 6 to 17. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for Pastor Mark this morning as he brings to us the message that you have laid on his heart. Help us to listen well and search our hearts so that through your Holy Spirit we may seek to be better temples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Yeah, I'll use this. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Mary, for your prayer and scripture reading. Uh, for those of you who you are visiting, I am Mark Wilson. I'm the interim pastor here at uh, St. Paul Union Church, and we uh, really welcome you today. And we are in the midst of a series on the Book of First Corinthians. So we're in our First uh, Corinthians chapter three after uh, we began a couple weeks ago, and last week we ended. Chapter 2, with the stunning declaration by the Apostle Paul, we have the mind of Christ. Can you say that with me? We have the mind of Christ. Now let's personalize that. I, I have the mind of Christ. So we're going to develop on that a little bit later as we go going at our message today, but I'm going to do something just a little bit different to start this morning with a few visuals. Now, the slide we've got in front right now is a picture of a very, uh, one of the most incredible spiritual leaders I've ever met in my life, uh, Mesrob II Mustafian, uh, who passed away on Friday. He was the patriarch of the Armenian church here in Turkey. Uh, and uh, This is the first time I met him in 2005. You can see how much younger I looked at that point. (laughs) And uh, it was uh, hearing his testimony, growing up in an Armenian Christian home, but not knowing Jesus as his Savior. He went to the United States uh, for university in Memphis, Tennessee, and with his roommate, they were driving one night, and had a car accident. His roommate was killed, and Mesrob lived. And the Holy Spirit used that terrible accident to reach him and to show him his need for Jesus. He became a believer. I got to know Mesrob through a former colleague when I was teaching at ORU, uh, or Roberts University in uh, Oklahoma. They were roommates when Mesrob was a student at the Institute of Holy Land Studies in Jerusalem, where he studied for two years with my friend Don Vance. And so through Don's introduction, I came to know Mesrob. But in 2008, he came down with early-onset Alzheimer's. Tragic situation. Uh, Just before that happened, uh, I uh, took Dindi to Istanbul. We had a meeting uh, with Mesrob, and so Dindi could meet him as well but a man who is a true shepherd of his people. And it was just a great tragedy when this happened. And over the last decade, as Dindi and I have prayed for Mesrob, we prayed for a miracle that somehow his mind could be restored. That prayer was never answered. And on Friday, Mesrob passed away and went to be with Jesus. But just to remember uh, Mesrob here this morning and later Dindi will be praying for the Armenian community now as they select uh, a new patriarch. So. Mesro. Uh, then we have a very special communication that came in a couple days ago from our former pastor, Dennis Masaro, and he was in Wheaton, Illinois. And you can see he's with Andrew and Noreen Brunson. And so this is the message that Dennis sent to us. Andrew and Noreen wanted me to convey their deep gratitude for all the prayers offered. On their behalf from SPUC over the past couple of years, they were interviewed at Wheaton in a very special prayer and worship night. I was there, able to be there. What a blessing it was. So anyway, a special thank you from Andrew and Noreen. As you remember, during their time of imprisonment, we were praying for them regularly here at SPUC. And now we get into today's message. Well, between Jack's back taxes and the Fred Hayes show, I'd say that was a pretty successful broadcast. That's next show, Thank you very much, Houston. Uh, we got a couple of housekeeping procedures for you. We'd like you to roll right to zero, 060 zero, and know your rates. Roger that. Rolling right. Zero, 060. Zero. And then if you could... Uh give your oxygen tanks a stir Roger that got a problem here. What did you do? Nothing. I stirred the tanks.
0: Whoa. Hey. Uh,
1: this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Well, we all know that scene from the movie Apollo 13 and this phrase Houston, uh, we have a problem is sort of entered into our vocabulary. And as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today, we see Paul saying the same thing as he addresses the church in Corinth. Corinth, we have a problem. And so today we're going to look at some of those problems that Paul is addressing here with the church in Corinth. As we noted at the beginning, Paul transitions into this chapter with the amazing declaration that the Corinthians have the mind of Christ. But unfortunately, they are not using that mind, are they? We saw in chapter two and in chapter one, especially, that they are foolishly thinking with their fleshly minds, especially related to the leadership that they have in the church there. Because as a result of Peter, Apollos, Paul coming there, they have. Uh, develop divisions within the church. And as a result of their strife and quarreling that's going on there, Paul realizes that they are acting in the flesh and not in the spirit. And Paul now exposes here in chapter 3 the fleshly thinking of the Corinthians about those ministering to him. And that through this division it shows that they are still infants in their faith. And in this chapter now, we're going to see Paul using three analogies for the church in Corinth, the church as a person, the church as a field, and finally, the church as a building. So we're going to take each one of those in turn. Now, as I enter into this first one, church as a person, I feel a bit intimidated with all these counselors in the room today. (laughs) Because as I went online looking at the various theories advanced about the stages of human development, I see there is great diversity about the number of stages and their identification. So for the purposes of this morning, I settled on the most simple one, the four-stage theory, which is probably closer to what the biblical view was. Infancy, childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. So let me repeat those, infancy, childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, and some of you are shaking your heads, I know, but no, okay, we'll go from there. So Paul here in this chapter is suggesting that there are parallels in the spiritual development of believers as well. So in our first uh, session, or look in 1 Corinthians 1, we looked at the founding of the church in Corinth and discovered that Paul founded the church there on his second journey In years, about 51 and 52. So here we are in 55, a few years later, and Paul is now writing this letter from Ephesus. So his audience in Corinth have been believers for four years at the most. So four years in the faith. But did Paul have expectations regarding their spiritual development? Well, very clearly he did. So he had hoped that they had progressed from the milk of the gospel now to its solid food. And as you wrote previously in chapter 2, verse 6, he was now ready to speak a message of wisdom among the mature, the mature. However, the Corinthians had not matured. He recalls how he gave them spiritual milk when he first ministered in Corinth. And of course, this is to be expected with new believers, particularly Gentiles who had no background in the Old Covenant and with the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now, four years later, Paul is expecting that the Corinthians had progressed in their maturity much further than they had. So how could Paul recognize their stunted development? Well, as we said, they were making decisions, not using the mind of Christ, but thinking foolishly and acting in their own fleshly nature. And again, this is evidenced by their quarreling and strife. The Corinthians thought they were spiritual. But Paul saw that they were really babies, and he was regarding them as such. Now, Paul is the spiritual father of the church. He birthed this church, he was the apostle that God sent there, but now he's delivering a message of tough love to this congregation. He says it's time to grow up. Put away infantile thinking and start living in the spirit, not in the flesh. As we look here this morning at our congregation at SPUC we know there's a wide range of spiritual development uh, among us here. Some of you are new to the faith, only years, a few years following Jesus Christ. Others like Tindy and myself, we've been following Jesus for over four decades. And there are many in between in terms of our spiritual walks with the Lord. But one thing that we have learned over the years is that the number of years of being a Christian does not necessarily equate to spiritual maturity. Okay? <laughs> We've known believers who, uh, Christians who have been believers for decades, but really they're still spirit- spiritual babes requiring milk. They have simply not progressed in their faith. We also know. Believers who have followed Jesus for only a few years, and they're very advanced in their faith because they have hungered and thirsted after righteousness, and thus the Holy Spirit has grown and developed them into mature followers of Jesus. We measure physical growth with weight scales and tape measures. I meant to have a tape measure out of my bag here to show you. how <laughs> Me- Measure things. But how do we measure spiritual growth? We don't have these uh, human tools to use to do that. But Paul suggests that one of the gauges is to estimate how much time do we operate with the mind of Christ? Stop and do a spiritual evaluation. Are we really using the mind of Christ to make decisions. Just being in spiritual leadership for a few months here during this interim period, I we've dealt with various situations where people have gotten into trouble because they have not been using the mind of Christ. How much of our decision making is done in the fleshly natural mind? This is the gauge that we ourselves can look at ourselves in the mirror, the spiritual mirror, and determine where are we at? Are we still babes or are we moving forward like Paul wants with the Corinthians into solid food? The second comparison he makes is the church as a field. To harvest a crop, we all know, various stages of preparation are required. Plowing. I'm, I'm from North Dakota, so I've seen a lot of this happening <laughs> growing up in the farming communities. Plowing, planting, watering, weeding before the harvest comes. Now, I know Carolyn and Ramazan are out there getting their garden ready as springtime is rolling around. Some of you maybe are having small gardens in your backyards, or maybe even putting out flower boxes in your balconies, uh, getting ready for. Uh, the season ahead, maybe trying to grow a few vegetables even, having some tomato plants uh, out there. And Paul uses this analogy then of the church as a field to talk about spiritual harvest as well. And we see Paul seeing that God himself is the one who has sent various laborers into this field. He himself was the first to come. He mentions Apollos again, Cephas, Peter, who have been sent to work among the Corinthians, this spiritual field. But Paul insists their human efforts can really never produce anything. Why? Because it's really God, who's the master gardener, who is the one responsible for a harvest. So he really reiterates that. Now, the Corinthians looked at them as competitors based kind of on the worldly philosophical thinking of, of their age that they were exposed to. But Paul saw himself and Apollos as, and Cephas as colleagues, co-workers, laboring toward a common goal and purpose, building up the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul recognized for their labor, each would receive an individual reward, proportional to his or her own toil and labor. Paul says God sent each one of these workers to labor in a field, which was the Corinthian church. And Paul's tone tells us he's very disappointed, though, about the harvest that has come in thus far among the Corinthians. It's much less than he expected. As we all know, this is a landmark year for St. Paul Union Church here in Antalya. In October, we're going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary here at the church. I hope you all have that marked on your calendars to be in town for this uh, wonderful event. Uh, Pastor James will be in the pulpit that Sunday. uh, And uh, this place should be full of people uh, who are coming to Antalya to be apart from that. And of course, James and Renata laid that foundation 20 years ago here. I think Carolyn's probably the only one here in the congregation that's Mary. Okay, we've got two people uh, who can go back over those two decades and remember all the ups and downs this congregation has gone through uh, over these 20 years. And God has sent many to labor in the congregation to build on that original foundation Uh, Just the other night I was at the PSC and we were naming some of those individuals who had built on this foundation through these decades at St. Paul Union Church. We also know that we have a very mobile community here with people coming and going regularly. But however long or short the Lord has you as part of this community, I just encourage you that each one of you has a job to do in this field of the church. Who's going to sign up to plow here, to plant, to water, the invitation to serve at the agape feast and clean up? All of these things that need to take place. Who's going to weed? Now that's the part that's uh, the least fun about gardening, isn't it? Is going out and getting the weeds out of these cleaning bathrooms, picking up the trash afterward. These are the things that need to be done to fulfill its calling to restore Christ to the Turkish Mosaic and to exist here in Antalya for the glory of God and the good of the city. SPUC needs the contribution of each one of you using the spiritual gifts that you've been given. So this morning, I'd like to encourage each of you to labor toward the spiritual harvest That is all around us. Uh, We see it. We are co-workers in this field that is St. Paul Union Church. And God promises uh, each one of us a reward. So we trust him that as we labor, he will reward us in proportion to our efforts. Number three, the church as a building. The third analogy Paul uses is to compare the church to a building. Here he sees himself like a master builder who laid a spiritual foundation that was none other than Jesus Christ. Again, he sees Apollos and Peter as other craftsmen who came along and built on Paul's work. Have any of you ever built or remodeled a house? Let's see your hands out there. Well, you know very well the amount of work that such a project entails. Now, we could have Brian come up here and tell all about his travails, working with Vic and Di as they're building right now at the new property north of Antalya, trying to get ready for Vic and Di to at least be able to stay overnight there and begin to... Reduce the number of trips back and forth to Antalya. As we know, the building trades, at least in Western countries, tend to be very highly specialized. Some pour concrete for the foundation, others lay block for the walls. Still, others do the plumbing. Electricians come in, they do the wiring. The roofers come in and finally put the roof on the building. And again, do these skilled craftsmen who are coming in and engaged in this building project see themselves in competition with one another? Absolutely not. Their common goal is to erect a functioning building that people can live or work in. So Paul warns the Corinthians here to take care how they're building on the foundation of Christ that they've laid. He names six materials that could be used in building, in terms of analogy, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now, as you look at the value of these uh, different materials that he names, really it's only the last three that seem to be of lesser quality that you can actually build with. Of course, we build with wood. In some places, hay and straw. Even in Turkey, you can see adobe type buildings. And in many parts of the world, they continue to use hay and straw for uh, mud brick buildings uh, over many, many centuries. So, Paul's exact parallel that he's trying to make here is a little bit different, difficult for us to understand. But he's trying to point out that some materials last while some materials dissolve, disintegrate. Now, as you walk around this city today, I'm sure you see building projects everywhere, don't you? Now, a building may appear livable from the outside, especially after it's finished and painted and looks really nice. But inside, there can be various structural problems just waiting to happen, as we know, especially with roofs. (laughs) And here, many of you experience those kind of issues uh, with all the rain this winter. And I often think to myself, as I'm looking at these buildings under construction, how are they building? With labor and materials that would last? Or... Will these structures begin to rust and will shaking cause them to deteriorate or fall? So Paul challenges now the Corinthians to be aware of how they are building. Why? Because he says, what we do on earth will be revealed in the day of judgment. When fire will burn away all the dross. Now, you may ask here this question. I thought I was saved. I was going to heaven and escaping God's judgment. But here Paul is talking about that it's not uh, that there is going to be a fire that's going to burn things away at some future time. Well, Paul is telling us in the Corinthians that it's not their salvation that's in question, but it's the extent of their expected reward that really is under consideration here. Now, the details of this reward system are really never spelled out in Scripture. So if you ask me, you know, how does this all work? uh, I I can't tell you, frankly. All I can tell you is that it's repeated numerous times in Scripture. We see, for example, Jesus saying in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when people insult you from the beatitudes persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me notice what he said rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven he's not talking about salvation here he says in Matthew 16:27 where the son of man is going to come in his father's glory notice he's talking about at his return in the future with his angels And then he will reward, he will reward each person according to what they have done. And in the book of Revelation, in the final chapter, John likewise writes these words of Jesus. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. Virtually the same thing that he says in Matthew 16. Now, the question may be rightly asked, if everything in the Christian life is by grace, why do works matter then at the last judgment? Now, firstly, we need to observe that our deeds, our works, are not obligations that we do as works of the law. I mean, Paul really hammers this in the book of Romans, doesn't he? But the works that we do are motivated by the mind of Christ that's in us, by the Holy Spirit that's living in us to produce fruit of the Spirit. So they're not of our own origin. Our flesh can produce nothing but works of the flesh, but they come from the motivation of the Spirit. One of my favorite commentators is Gordon Fee, and he writes about this. Salvation for Paul was both now and not yet. What began in the present as gift is to be persevered in righteously and thus consummated at the final glory, which is also a gift. For Paul, righteousness is both a gift and a responsibility. i repeat that. It's both a gift and a responsibility. So here in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the promise of rewards then as both a warning and and a motivation, that the Corinthians need to take care of how they're building and with what kind of materials, that is, deeds, actions. Now, here at the end of the chapter, Paul makes another stunning revelation to the Corinthians. You are temples of God, and his spirit lives in you. Now, the Corinthians were very familiar with temples, You visit the site today, you see the remains of a 5th century temple, the Temple of Apollo that's there, just one of many that existed in the city. You go anywhere here in Turkey and visit an ancient site, you're going to see temples. In Ephesus, you see about 26 temples and sanctuaries that are still standing. So temples were everywhere in the ancient world. The Jews, of course, still had their temple in Jerusalem there that The Jews made three trips a year to worship and celebrate at that temple. They had daily sacrifices that the priests still ministered in. But here Paul transcends this physical location of a building, a structure, and locates true worship within the hearts of each follower of Jesus Christ. the prophecy of Ezekiel that he gave in chapters 36 and 37 is now fulfilled. I will put my spirit in you. 2,000 years before, or excuse me, about uh, 700 years before, a little bit uh, overestimate, 700 years before he is prophesying this, I will put my spirit in you. We see Jesus saying the same thing. The spirit of truth lives with you and what? Will be in you. The spirit of truth lives with you and will be in you. This is the great promise of the Old Testament, the promise of Jesus. And Paul is now uh, emphasizing this great truth to his Corinthian audience. Now, in the coming chapters, we're going to learn more details about why Paul had to give tough love to this congregation. For they were treating their bodies as houses of pleasure rather than temples of God. And so we're going to be encountering this ahead. Now, your presence this morning at SPUC tells me that you are concerned to build on the foundation of Jesus, and that you're interested in receiving these promised rewards. You want to be productive builders using materials that will endure, those that are born of the mind of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, and not of fleshly thinking. We're all looking forward to that day, whether it happens in our lifetimes or after our deaths, When we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at that time of judgment, there will be fire to burn away those works that are not born of the Spirit. We want to minimize those, don't we? So that when Jesus looks at us, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. So, in closing, Just as we affirm together at the beginning of the service, let's do this verbally as well. This wonderful truth that Paul has given us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's say this together. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's personalize it. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Meditate on that, and I'll tell you. (laughs) You understand this great biblical truth, uh, you're on your way. Father, we thank you this morning for Paul's teaching to the Corinthians. Lord, our desire this morning, we don't want to be babies, Lord. We want to be maturing, we want to be moving on. Lord, even four decades in the faith, I'm still maturing. I've still got things that the Holy Spirit is teaching me. And Lord, we just desire desire, uh, to be workmen uh, in this field that you've placed us here in Antalya. Lord, help us to produce deeds born of the Holy Spirit that will last. Lord, we desire, we desire so much. And when we stand before you, Lord, that you'll just have that smile on your face and just say, Brian, die. Lisa, well done. Good and faithful servant, receive your reward. We thank you now in Jesus' name, amen.